Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. Coming to you from the other London, let's start the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm your host, Alex Mozinski, and I'm joined by co-host Adrian Bory. How are you today, Adrian? I'm pretty great. How are you? I'm just happy that my day's over pretty much because it's been a long day. Yeah. But other than that, pretty darn good. <laughs> anyway, I'm really happy now because <laughs> we're joined by, and I'm saying this on the record now, probably one of the coolest people I've ever met. And I just set the bar really high for you, and oh, that's I'm sorry. horrible. <laughs> but I, I just did it. Oh, um, man. Dan Cameron, he's a fourth-year PhD student in the neuroscience program with me. And he does some really cool stuff. In addition to being like one of just the most awesome dudes I've ever met, probably, he has some really amazing research. So, Dan, why don't you tell us a little bit about the research that you do? Here sure. At I want to first say you shouldn't overhype your guests <laughs> when you're hosting a show. I mean, how am I going to live up to this? I'm promoting the you, man. The coolest, most awesome person Best you've ever met or whatever. This, this is ridiculous. <laughs> just, I'm setting you up for disaster. Oh, man. That's true. No, okay, I'm not. so you'll live up to these expectations. I'll I just do my it. best. So, you want to know about my research? Well, yeah. What do you do in general? So, I'm a, I'm a, as you said, fourth year neuroscience student, and um, I work in Dr. Jessica Gron's lab, and that's a music neuroscience lab. So, we look at different aspects of the brain and how they relate to music um, in different ways. My research is particularly focused on the temporal aspects of music, so rhythm and a rhythmic beat that we feel when we listen to music and what brain mechanisms are involved in the processing of musical beats. So what uh, structures and systems and what kind of activity is involved and lets us take a sound sequence, so just sounds over time, and if they're structured in a certain way, turn that so easily and effortlessly into a movement that we can move along with and synchronize with. So what what are some of the things that, that do go on when, so I'm listening to Modest Mouse, let's say, mm-hmm. and I don't know why Great I picked, I don't know why I picked Modest Mouse. No, because you're cool. a cool guy. That's there we why. go. <laughs> the cool dude, just call me cool, everybody. Um, so I, I'm listening to sure. some music, and and what's happening in in well, all kinds my of things are happening. Body. I mean, like, so you picked a, a, a kind of music, a band specifically that you're familiar with. So all kinds of things are happening when in your brain when you're listening to this. So you might recognize the first chords and the first timbres, the kinds of instruments that are being used. Every kind time. Of, and, and right, and you'll clue into that and you'll kind of recognize the song and you'll have all kinds of other uh, experience that you'll re- you know, recognize it, you'll re- remember it, you'll, you'll be predicting really easily what's going to happen coming up. So um, any number of things are going on. You'll have emotional and aesthetic experiences associated with that specific music. So some of the things we often think about in my experiments are um, if you're hearing just a rhythm for the first time. So unfortunately, it makes our um, experiments quite boring compared to listening to Modest Mouse. You listen to a little tone sequence. It might just be versus something more complex, something like that, where you can't feel the beat as much. And we compare brain activity there. Just thinking of the Martians from Mars Attacks when you make that, 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 that. That's a great film. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> so, so you're using fairly generic um, rhythms, basically, as opposed to more complex music. Right, to and, study there's, this. and there's total use for looking at real music for you know, scientific questions. If, if we want to find out bit, you know, about the aesthetic experiences, for example, then you would play real music that people like, or maybe you're interested in 
um, the differences that familiar versus unfamiliar music might have on your neural processing of, of the music or whatever. So when I'm just interested in, in the rhythmic aspects, the temporal aspects of music, then we have to strip it down to the bare kind of fundamentals. As you know, in science, you have to kind of control everything else and just get it to what you want. And so that's why we, we would use these kind of boring um, uh, Mars attacks type uh, tone sequences, as you, as you pointed out. Um, so what happens when you start hearing those? Well, your auditory system picks up on it. So we have a whole auditory pathway from our ears that transports that through our uh, kind of lower uh, regions of our brain and lower functioning areas of our brain up to our cortex. And then we have in our temporal lobes, um, primary auditory cortex that is kind of responding in a relatively simple way to the to the these sounds you might hear. But what's particularly fascinating about rhythms um, is that our motor system is is totally interested in what's going on rhythmically and in the timing, the temporal aspects of rhythms. So if we put you in a brain scanner where we can see the changes in blood flow that tell us about um, what regions of your brain are active when you're doing something, and we play these different types of rhythms, and you don't have to, you're not moving along, you don't have any um, task necessarily involving um, um, imagining movement or preparing movement or anything like that. But while you're just listening, you're the, these parts of the brain that are interested in, in or also involved in, in, in motor control and movements are totally lighting up and totally interested areas like your premotor cortex and supplementary motor area. Um, lower areas like the cerebellum and basal ganglia, these are kind of really involved. Now, when we listen to certain kinds of rhythms, ones that give us a sense of the beat. Now, the beat is that kind of regular emphasis that you feel when you're listening to something like Modest Mouse or real music that lets you clap along with it so easily. That kind of sense of regularity that's so predictable and easy to, to, to move along with. When you're listening to a rhythm that gives you that sense, certain parts of your motor system are even more involved. So supplementary motor area and basal ganglia in particular seem to kind of lock into that predictable beat. So that predictable beat would like, I don't know, I'm just imagining like, if I was listening to something like We Will Rock You, mm. it would be more predictable than like some kind of crazy jazz drumming that I might not be able to follow quite as easily. And right, so exactly. These regions would be more active in one state versus another. Yeah, it seems so. Exactly. Oh, cool. Yeah. So how do you go about, about studying this? So you're using the generic tones. How are you seeing the active parts of the brain and how are you controlling things? Right. So um, I mentioned fMRI, so functional magnetic resonance imaging. This is a neuroimaging technique that um, lets us uh, essentially look at changes in blood flow in the brain, which we take as a proxy for neural activity. So when your neurons are firing, they're consuming energy and they need oxygen as part of that. And so the blood flow carries that oxygen. So when there's changes in blood flow in a certain part of the brain, we know that there's um, uh, more activity in general going on there, neural activity. Now that's a method that can really let us see spatially uh, to, a great um, uh, to a great level of resolution what regions are involved. So I can see areas deep in our brain, like I was saying, the basal ganglia or cerebellum are more involved in some situation versus another, but they don't. it doesn't have very good temporal resolution. So the timing of that method is not very good. So we can use another method, electroencephalography, uh, EEG, um, that does have very good temporal resolution. So this involves putting electrodes on the, on the surface of your head, on your scalp, and it's picking up the kind of residual um, electrical activity that's resulting from um, um, the underlying brain activity, neural activity. So this is kind of your brain waves that people think about. So we can use that method to look at not necessarily where in the brain things are happening, but when they happen, and we can look at changes over time. So that's a method we've used to look at how your brain waves synchronize to the musical beat or the rhythmic beat and different aspects of the rhythmic beat. 
answers. And does the the actual rhythm become entrained to the beat? Like the so like EEG, I think of it as like being like a, a mass neuronal activity. Like right, the brains are right. fire the brains. The neurons are firing together. Right. And you can pick it up because of the electrical change. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's picking up on Yeah. So it's picking up on <laughs> postsynaptic potential. So this is this is not picking up an individual neuron that's mm-hmm. that's firing in that way, but it's big populations that are um, firing some kind of synchronized or, or um, kind of group level activity. And so we do see that when you start listening to rhythms, um, your brain becomes synchronized to it. And that actually helps your perception of it. So we know that if your brain waves synchronize to an external stimulus, and that could not just be musical rhythm uh, necessarily, but uh, human speech or even you know, visual information, when it's synchronized to an external um, rhythmic input, it, we have better perception of it and better processing and more efficient processing of it. Um, so that does happen in, in musical rhythms, and there's a few different studies that our lab's involved with um, where we can compare this under different conditions. So when we're uh, presenting a, a kind of musical rhythm to a participant, we can ask, does it matter if they're paying attention to this rhythm or not? Um, does that affect how synchronized their brain is to the rhythm? So when we, we can distract them with some other task, or we can have them, you know, force them to pay attention to the rhythm, and we can see, does that change how... Um, how synchronized your brain activity becomes to the, to the rhythm. So speaking of synchronization and brain activity, you, if I'm correct, mm-hmm. recently used this EEG technique mm-hmm. um, abroad somewhere ah, yeah. to study. So so can you tell us a little bit about your experiences? Was sure, sure. How, so I was, a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to go to East Africa. So I was in Rwanda for six weeks and in Kenya for another six weeks. So this is a um, part of a different study where I was um, we were doing EEG with newborn babies. Um, but while I was there, um, I'm interested in cross-cultural differences in, in rhythm perception and um, all this stuff I've been talking about. So we recorded EEG from some adult subjects in East Africa. This was in Rwanda. And also when I came back home from some adult subjects here in Canada. And we can compare those two groups and the degree to which they entrain to the rhythmic beat of different kinds of rhythms. Now, to get at this question that we're interested in of the influence of culture on on how we entrain to to musical rhythms and musical beat, we presented both these two groups of of, uh, participants with rhythms from the musical cultures of these two places. So rhythms from East African music and rhythms from Western music. Um, And then we look at between these two groups, do they entrain differently? to these different types of rhythm. And we also looked at their behavior. So are they, um, does your cultural familiarity um, with, with a certain kind of rhythm influence your ability to um, perceptually discriminate or that rhythm or to tap along with it? And then also this neural me- measure of how your brain synchronizes to it. And sure enough, it looks like culture does have an influence um, where one group, um, the East African subjects, were their brains were synchronizing to different rates of regularity, so kind of the faster notes in the um, in the uh, uh, rhythms compared to the North American group that was, uh, their brains were trained to the slower ones. So we could see this kind of influence of culture on how your brain synchronizes, and this kind of fits your intuitive sense of if you were listening to, like you brought up the example before of um, pairing a really sim- a really simple um, rhythm to something complex and unfamiliar, some jazz rhythm or something. And this is about your exposure to it. So if, you've, if you're a jazz lover and listen to a lot of jazz music, that rhythm wouldn't sound so complex. You would be following along with it really easily because you've heard it, you've learned uh, implicitly or explicitly how the kind of the temporal structure in the music works. 
Um, but then if you hear a totally foreign music that you've never heard before, the structure doesn't make as much sense. That's kind of intuitive that it doesn't make as much sense to you. You can't pick up on it as easily. You can't move along with it as easily. And you're not as sure of what's going on. So this is some kind of neural measure of that process. That's so interesting. So what are the differences between rhythms in traditional East African music and what we would see in Western music? Ah, uh, yeah, you should get a music major to come in and talk to you, talk to you about that. <laughs> so what, for this study, what we did, what I found um, uh, an ethnographical recording of um, some East African music, and I, and I transcribed the rhythms from some of the musical pieces on that into kind of basic rhythms um, that we could use for these uh, the, the stimulus for this study. And then for Western music rhythms, I composed some. So I have some musical training and, and thought I can come up with some ones that are simple enough and controlled enough to compare to these other ones. But there's, there's a whole um, world of research that's looking at the differences in, in, in rhythm structure and rhythmic behavior with music in African cultures and in Western music culture and all over the world ethnomusicology. So there's a lot of interesting stuff there that um, I'm not qualified to speak to, unfortunately. But one thing I can talk about, I guess, with African rhythm is that it tends to be, um, it has more levels of, of um, regularity that people uh, are able to synchronize their movements with. So there's something called metrical ambiguity. So if I sing a really simple rhythm, you could feel, feel the beat really easily with that. And by and large, you know, if you did this, if you played that to a great number of people, they would all feel the same kind of regularity with it. You could have a more temporally complex and um, maybe multi-level um, kind of hierarchical structure in, a, in, a, in, a, in another rhythm where people would show a, there would be a greater range of the, the ways people synchronize to it. So some people would synchronize it to faster rates and some to slower. Um, and that's so this kind of ambiguity of, of how you feel the beat. So that is uh, more common in African rhythmic, uh, Af African musical rhythms than it is in Western music. So it was cool to show some kind of neural evidence that supports that, that there's some difference based on presumably exposure to that kind of musical rhythm that changes how your brain synchronizes to musical rhythms generally. And, and how did you measure this in, in Africa? Were you able to take a machine or was there one available or? Yeah, we brought one. So this is because we were doing something, um, the, uh, the main thing that was bringing me there was to, to record EEG in newborn babies in hospitals. We, were ha we had a, a portable EEG machine. So it was about a foot, square foot. And then, um, and then um, yeah, so we could hook it up to a laptop and bring the, the electrodes that we put on people's heads, and it was all a portable system. So uh, it wasn't top-of-the-line, uh, most expensive research gear, but uh, it worked well for our purposes anyways. It's the job done. Cool. So what, what do you think that this means, I guess, in, in terms of learned beat or music appreciation mm -hmm. versus like an implicit um, sort of you're born with it, uh, appreciation of, of beat and music and the ability to understand it. Yeah, I think like so. This the study I was talking about is is evidence that your experience matters. That and that um, could go along with something like training. So I think a lot of people would recognize that if you have musical training, oh, I can use that information that I've learned to listen differently. That I can pay attention to something like the the, the beat or the the metrical structure of the music. Whereas people who don't have musical training might be just aware of their ignorance of oh, I. I Feel like I don't know what's going on in explicit terms. The thing that's um, so we know that 
kind of intuitively that experience matters, right? I was talking before about how your cultural experience or what style of music you listen to a lot can really influence how you listen. But we also know that beat perception, this, this ability to sense a regular emphasis in, in musical rhythms is a universal because we see it in every musical culture, every culture in the world and through history has a kind of music that has a temporal regularity to it and has an association between music and dance. So this is, I mean, the fact that it's in every kind of example of, of humans that we see, we can really call that a biological universal. This is something humans do and have the ability to do. Now, there's a lot of uh, variation across people. Some people feel less confident about it and don't feel, you know, like they're the, going to be the first ones on the dance floor or with the um, greatest, <laughs> you're shaking your head. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so we know that there's, there's differences between individuals, but we all have this ability um, to move along. And this is amazing because other animals don't do this. Um, there are a few examples where animals, it looks like they have been trained to synchronize with um, uh, rhythmic beat in the same in a similar way that that humans can, but basically um, they can't. Including our nearest relatives, non-human primates, they we can train them uh, to tap along with a rhythm, and they you know after extensive training they will hear a beep and then they will they will tap afterwards. Whereas we can you know, really easily amongst humans get them to synchronize really accurately in a way that um, they anticipate the rhythm. So if I have you. Just listening to a metronome, a regular sound like this, and have to tap along with it, people would do it so in a really accurate way, and they would do so um, by anticipating when in time those regular, really predictable uh, sounds are going to be. Monkeys can't do that. They respond, they react to each of the sounds. Uh, so it's a totally different kind of processing. So this is some cool thing that humans have the ability to do, and other animals don't. We also can see that it doesn't require special training. So if you look at really young babies, even, they don't have the motor control to synchronize with a great deal of accuracy, but they feel the urge to move along. So there's all kinds of really cute uh, YouTube videos of <laughs> babies moving along with music, and they they really want to dance. It's, it's a common thing. And yeah, they don't have this kind of expert ability that humans do, uh, or sorry, that adults do, um, uh, to move with a great deal of accuracy. But they, it's something they enjoy, so they have the urge to do it, and that they kind of um, there's this this tight linking between sounds and the temporal structure of sounds we hear, sound sequences, and our motor system and our ability to move along. So yeah, there's both this innate quality and this experience-dependent quality of, of rhythm and beat perception. So you, you kind of went over something I was going to try to to sneak in after that, but. Um... Did you so the monkey stuff? Is that a recent development of a, another one of your travels, or um, is this is this me extrapolating too much here? No, no. So um, you saw a presentation of mine recently. Yes, I did. Um, so I was visiting a lab in Mexico in um, in the spring. Man of the world here. <laughs> and uh, it, so this is a, a lab that does uh, research on, especially with non-human primates, so certain kinds of monkeys and their ability to. Um, or the, the the way their brains do timing tasks and, and different kinds of motor tasks. So this was a cool opportunity I had. I was just down there for about six weeks. Um, but a cool opportunity to compare between species. Is there common neural activity related to rhythm and beat perception in humans and monkeys? Or um, we know that there are behavioral differences. I was just talking about how monkeys can't do some of the things humans do so easily. Can we find the markers of that difference in brain activity? So we... Um, um, recorded EEG, like I was talking about before, so just electrodes placed on the scalp, um, 
with both uh, monkey and a group of humans, and we presented different sounds to them, different, um, uh, not just sounds, but different kinds of rhythms, basically. And we can look at the different types of activity related to the, the perception of those sounds, and we can compare and we can say, okay, where is their commonality? We know that the, our brains are uh, strikingly similar between uh, human and, and monkey brains. So there should, are probably, there's probably going to be some common um, responses to these sounds. But we also know that there's these behavioral differences that humans have this ability to anticipate and pick up on the predictable beat in musical rhythms. So we should probably find some, um, some responses in the brain activity that indicate that, that are related to anticipation and that are present in humans, but not present in monkeys. Cool. Yeah, so that's what that study was about. What'd you find? Well, it's the data analysis is in process, but we are Darn. finding the, well, I don't I have so a final story, but, <laughs> but the initial story is that we find some of both. So in some measures, it looks like the, the monkey, uh, the brain responses in the monkey totally fit within what you might see from an individual human. And by the way, human brain responses aren't identical one to another. So we can look at the, vari the variability across human brain responses. And in some measures, the monkey response looks quite typical to what a human um, uh, human brain response is. And then there's some other measures where it looks like, wow, the, the monkey brain is doing something just totally different. It has a different pattern of activity than what the, the human brains tend to do. So that's a kind of an early indication that there are some of these differences, but the, the specifics of what kind of activity is, is, is um, underlying these different things is, is still uh, remaining to be uh, discovered. So kind of a more of an anthropological question now. Mm. Um, what do you think uh, the the ability to per perceive beat perception has had um, on the development of, of human culture as a whole and humans? Because uh, I mean, it's across cultures. You're seeing mm -hmm. it all over the place. So you know, would we be the same without this? Like, it's must have had a profound effect on human history. Sure. So it's a great question, and it's it's. Um... It's, it's, I think it's interesting to a, a whole number of people, I think, when you, you tap into this. So it's innate to humans. So what's its role? Why would we have this, this biological fact that humans can pick up on the beat? When it's uh, most things, when we see this, it's related to some adaptive, evolutionarily adaptive quality. But with music, it's not so obvious. You know, it doesn't feed us. It doesn't keep us dry when it's raining. It doesn't reproduce us in these kind of ways that we normally think of as evolutionarily adaptive. So why do we all have this ability? Why can we do it? And there's theories out there, and this is um, these are untestable theories, right? Evolutionary yeah. psychology or evolutionary theory is is um, mostly untestable, or it's really hard to test. But it's so exciting. But it's so exciting, and it's nice to it's talk so about. So cool. So the the, the kind of um, uh, dominant theories right now is that music and the ability to synchronize related to beat perception, rhythm perception, um, would be adaptive in the sense that they could build social cohesion. So in different ways, this can be the case. So if we are a group of people together. And um, we're going to be more efficient workers together. We're going to do things as a group um, more efficiently if we can synchronize our movements. So you can think of sailors on a ship who sing. Uh, uh, exactly. You're doing the motion of, of rowing together or pulling a rope together. And that will be more efficient if we can synchronize our movements. Using music is a great way. This kind of auditory, auditory um, signal that's really predictable is a great way to make us um, uh, all synchronize together, or synchronize our movements together. So that's one kind of way that it would be adaptive. Another way is just that if we can all, um, as a kind of social group, become more, um, uh, feel like more of a group. So if we're all moving in synchrony together and listening to the same kind of emotionally um, involved sounds, then we'll feel like more of a group later on. And that that's adaptive in some way. 
and we'll all float on together. <laughs> Are you going to sing for us? No. Are you going to do Modest Mouse? No. Oh, God. Not today. Um, okay. <laughs> so I have one last question for sure. you. And as a, as a person who studies neurodegenerative disease, mm. I can't help but think about, you, you were talking about motor um, abnormalities and motor structures mm. and, and even emotion. And mm -hmm. so I study ALS and chronic traumatic encephalopathy. There's serious motor and neuron involvement. Uh, there's emotional involvement. And, and Parkinson's disease comes to mind mm -hmm. because it's it's a, a motor system disorder as well, more limbic. So, it, have you are you aware of? Have you looked into any differences in people with these particular types of motor disorders and their ability to perceive feet? Yeah. So Parkinson's disease is one that's getting a lot of attention and um, from research groups that are interested in how our brains process rhythm because there's some preliminary evidence that using a regular sound or music, in fact, can help people with Parkinson's disease move more easily. So the hallmark of Parkinson's disease is that they have trouble initiating movement or they move really uh, slowly or they have kind of a halting gait. And there's some preliminary evidence that, well, if they're listening to just a metronome or maybe their favorite song, that that smooths their gait out, that they can move more easily and more readily. Now, we don't understand nearly enough about how this works. Um, so what is it? Is it the regular pulse that makes it kind of predictable? that we can synchronize with so easily in general that these patients are able to latch onto uh, that, you know, could, that helps them? Or is it something, you know, that they're, it's changing their processing because it's really familiar, happy music that they like, and that's changing, you know, that we know that that could have a powerful effect on the brain. So we're, there's other um, researchers in my lab who are looking at this and trying to parse out these different factors of, of um, how, how, to what degree the music that they're listening to has a strong sense of beat. Um, if it's familiar music, if it's music they like, if it's really groovy music, music that makes you want to move in general, if any of these things matter. Uh, also, like at the subject level, not all patients seem to respond in the same way to this. So maybe how um, precise their processing is of, of, of sounds in time is, is necessary or is, is an important part of, of this um, potential therapeutic benefit. So there's a lot to be learned about this, but there's some, there's some pretty um, uh, interesting preliminary evidence anyways down that road. Um, as far as ALS, I don't know anything about that with, with music. The other area that gets a lot of interest is with Alzheimer's and um, when people um, who have these um, um, generative diseases where their memory is really um, far gone, but they preserve, there is some preservation of memory for music. So there's some great YouTube videos where people are really non-responsive in their own world, don't respond to you know, their family members' voices or faces. But then when hearing some music from decades and decades past from their you know, teenage years light up in some way and sing along, know the words, know the melody, that's, you know, that's an amazing thing. And there's different theories about why that might be. And some ideas these are quite preliminary about um, whether this could be used for some therapeutic benefit. So there is something about you know, music that it's engaging a huge part of our brain, that it's something you know, really intrinsic to who we are as, as humans. Um, and, and that, that this might be useful in a therapeutic context, but there's um, lots more research to do. Healing powers of music, everyone. <laughs> well, Dan, thank you so much for coming. Hey, my pleasure. Show. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you all next week. That's all we got for this week. If you like this episode, share it with someone. Check us all out on Twitter and Facebook. Both you can find through Gradcast Radio. 
You can go to our website to see more episodes at gradcastradio.ca. And if you want to come on the show and talk about your own research, great line for your CV, go to gradcastradio at gmail.com. The theme is Happy Boy by Kevin McLeod, and we will see you guys next time.